Hello and welcome to the Pro Football Network Miami Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Matt Infante, joined as always by PFN Deputy Editor Adam H. Beasley. And Adam, uh, the Dolphins went in the Foxborough Sunday night, didn't play their cleanest game, but left with a victory and sole possession of first place in the AFC East. Um, what are your general thoughts on what we saw from the Dolphins in week two in Foxborough? Uh, two weeks now, two close games, two games that in an era ago, the Miami Dolphins would have lost, right? They had a field goal block and a missed field goal late in regulation against the Patriots. They missed an extra point against the Chargers. Those in close games um, would have killed the Dolphins in the past. And here we are, 2-0, uh, one of the five best teams in the National Football League without any question. Uh, probably the best team in their division and maybe the best team in the conference. LFG, let's go, Matt and Fonte. Well, well let, let, let's put a pin in that conference question for a second. Um, I, I did want to just, you know, it's interesting. We, we, we watched week one, right? And they were flinging the ball all, all over the place. Uh, obviously, different game plan because Bill Belichick took away what the Dolphins do best. Um, and then what we saw was, you know, Raheem Mostert turned back the clock. Uh, and, and do something that is rare for running backs of his age. I know, Adam, you just wrote about it for ProFootballNetwork.com um, about Mostert and, and his um, kind of outstanding performance, age-defying performance in, in Week 2. Yeah, um, almost statistically impossible performance in, in Game 2, and I'll walk through it real quick. Raheem Mostert, age 31, right? They signed him, re-signed him this offseason. He was a free agent. They brought him back, made the conscious decision, uh, decided not to upgrade – uh, in the eyes of pundits, at least, uh, in the offseason, the Dalvin Cooks are available, the Jonathan Taylors are available, they kicked the tires on Josh Jacobs. There, there are all kinds of running backs. Saquon Barkley even called the Giants about that, reportedly. Uh, there are all kinds of running backs that the Dolphins could have acquired, could have gone after if they had given up enough. Instead, they, they stood pat, kept a group that they really like, and, oh, yeah, Raheem Mostert outperformed the likes of Dalvin Cook and Jonathan Taylor was obviously injured, Josh Jacobs and Saquon Barkley. He was better than all those dudes on Sunday, and he was better than almost every single running back in football. And he did that at age 31, which is kind of a death sentence in the National Football League. You reach that age, you're usually done. Uh, he is not that. He is not even close to that. A stat that you uh, sent my way, which was really good, Next Gen Stats, had him as the second fastest ball carrier in football, uh, it, not just in week two, but the first two weeks combined. Number one, of course, is Tyreek Hill. Go figure, right? Uh, but he is doing things that are so beyond what is expected for a player of his age. I'm going to get into the weeds real quick. I did a math. There are 32 starting running backs, obviously, in the National Football League in week two. Raheem Mostert was by far the oldest, by two years, the oldest running back. Uh, the next oldest was, I believe, Derrick Henry at 29. The mean age, the, the average age of running backs was like 25.1, 25 and change, whatever. Uh, getting into the weeds a little bit more, standard deviation. That tells you how closely bunched numbers are in facts. And you as a, as a former and current numbers guy, you love me getting into the weeds this way. Oh, I uh, love it. This is like going yeah. back to AP uh, algebra. Yeah, uh, he was almost three standard deviations away from the mean, which means I, I think within three, you're 99.7% of all of the data points. And he was right at that number of three standard deviations, which means in, 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 in gambling terms, he was like three in 10,000, right? That is how rare, just the age alone. And then put on top of that, hey, he's the fastest recorded ball carrier in football so far this season, A. 
B, he averaged six point something yards per carry with two touchdowns and 121 yards. What he did on Sunday, we just never see from running backs his age. And I think it should be celebrated. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it's interesting. Um, in week one, the Patriots only allowed 60, 60 yards on 16 carries to so the Eagles running backs. Eagles have a pretty good offensive line. They have a good group of running backs and the Patriots shut them down. And then here comes Mostert and, and, and you know, also some other ball carries as well, averaging 6.3 yards per carry on, on Sunday night, 139 yards from the running backs. Um, and we all wondered, would the Dolphins be able to run the ball this year? Uh, you know, week one, they didn't really need to. Um, but what we saw was certainly encouraging um, moving forward. And, and I think it's not just a big deal because it helped propel the Dolphins to a win in New England. It's a big deal because the Dolphins now put this on film for the rest of the opponents to see. Now, when you're game planning for the Dolphins, you can't just say we're going to shut down to uh, Tyreek in the passing game because now they've proven against a very good you know, defense, they can run the ball. And I think a lot of us had questions about that heading into the season. Yeah, a couple of things to unpack there. Certainly having a whatever it was, a 43-yard touchdown run helps that average big time. But he earned those yards. I mean, that's when he reached that top speed. The blocking has been excellent. I, I, I don't think we can talk enough about how good the offensive line has been compared to expectations, particularly with Teron Armstead missing the first two games. I believe they allowed one sack in eight quarters. Uh, you saw what they did on the ground. All of those things are really encouraging because – Good teams don't win just one way. If you have one way to win, you don't, you're not going to win a championship unless you get really, really lucky and the other team just coughs up the ball a lot. Because the further you get onto the season, there's more and more on tape, as you said. Tendencies really come to the, to the top. Uh, and smart defensive coordinators with talented defenses figure out a way to take away what you do well. And Bill Belichick is all of those things. A lot of talent in that defense, a really, really, really smart defensive coach. And it was mission accomplished, right? They played three deep safeties for most of the game. Uh, and there weren't those deep shots that has been, quite honestly, the lifeblood of the Mike McDaniel offense since 2022. How many times did you see them sustain drives and be able to churn out first down after first down and move the sticks and keep the defense off the field? By the way, which we'll get into, I'm sure, the defense was much improved in week two as well. How often did you see that last year? Certainly didn't see it in week one. It was all these deep shots and, oh my God, it's, you know, it's a track meet out there. You're going to have to be able to win the games the hard way too. And the fact that they've already done that on the road against a very, very talented, I mean, Patriots on offense have their issues. They don't scare anybody, obviously. But on defense, they brought back the core of a top five defense last year. And to your point, they look very, very good against the Eagles in week one. Um, the Dolphins are one of the best teams in football. I don't think we can argue that. They have the offense to be able to compete with anybody. And when their defense shows up like it did in week two, they are one of the best teams in the National Football League. Yeah, and just to touch on the offensive line again, it's time to you know give Butch Barry his flowers here because the offensive line coach, he's done you know um, essentially the same line as last year, plus Isaiah Wynn in place of Liam Eichenberg there at guard. And then swapping out, you know, Armstead for Kendall Lamb, who's been fantastic. They've allowed four quarterback hits officially this year. And like you said, one sack uh, through about 80 dropbacks or so for Tua, which is remarkable. Um, but it does raise a question about Kendall Lamb once Teron Armstead returns, right? Um, it, it, is there just no spot for him? Would they consider putting him at right tackle? I mean, I think without detailed film review, it seems like Lamb has been – 
more effective than Austin Jackson, at least in pass protection. There was a couple of times I've seen, you know, Austin Jackson get beat, but Tua has the ball out quick enough that it's, you know, um, negated. But is there a world where Kendall Lamb has a home once Armstead comes back? Sure, but that world uh, involves Austin Jackson having a lot worse performances than he has in the first two weeks. Uh, would be surprised. Like, you got to give this offensive line some continuity, some consistency, and let them grow. And if you're swapping out positions every week, it's not it's not a video game. I mean, these guys are humans, and they need to be able to play off who they're next to. Um, I wouldn't mess with success until you have to mess with failure, right? And if 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 they have a couple of games in a row where two is getting rocked and the blind side is crumbling and Austin Jackson's playing poorly, sure, you entertain that idea. Uh, but I don't think he's done nearly enough to lose that job, regardless of you know what happens on the left side. And Armstead's going to get that job, of course, when he's back. I think it just shows you how much better this offensive line is from a depth perception perspective. Sorry. That's easy for me to say from a depth perspective, it's much better than it has been in, t- in, in the recent years. And what's wild is they're doing it with largely the same personnel. Now, granted they're doing it with the same personnel and Austin Jackson's available, right? He didn't play last year. I think he had like 40 snaps or something. Right? He was hurt the entire season. He's available. Now when you have your first round pick, who's playing at a solid level back for you, it makes the entire line better. Yeah, and it's a very nice contingency plan to the often injured Terran Armstead to have Kendall Lamb there, seeing how he's performed so well, really dating back to the preseason, and knowing that if Armstead has to miss a couple of snaps or another game or two or whatever it may be, there is a competent replacement there, and you know panic doesn't set in like it well, would have it previously. Sure. Yeah, and, 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 and I will say this. Our priors should always be challenged. And our, one of my priors was if Teron Armstead's out, this offense doesn't function. That's clearly, clearly wrong. We might see this week, Matthew, another prior. Can the Dolphins have explosive gains without Jalen Waddle? Because he is in the concussion protocol. He is dealing with a head injury. And certainly this team's history of head injuries, they're not going to put him at risk at all if he's not checked every single box. Um not having him potentially is going to obviously put a lot more stress on Tyree Kill and the other dudes on on that receiving core uh, are going to have to continue to play at the high level that they have already. And you're going to probably see Cedric Wilson if, if Jalen Waddle can't play. Yeah, and note um, on Monday, uh, Mike McDaniel did say that Waddle was progressing through it already, whatever that may mean. Um, you know, we don't get any details as far as what what stage of the process they're in. So we'll monitor it. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see tomorrow. We're taping this on Tuesday morning. We'll see Wednesday uh, if he's out there. If he's out there practicing in a red, you know, non-contact jersey, that means he's reached that next stage and there's a real chance that he'll play. Um, you know, I wasn't in uh, Foxborough, unfortunately, but friends of mine who were, colleagues of mine who were, said that he was incredibly conversant in the locker room post game, joking with Tyree Kill, sitting at his locker like nothing had happened. Uh, entirely possible. There are obviously degrees of severity when con- when it comes to concussions and what gets you ruled out one week might not get you ruled out the next. Obviously, the Dolphins hope for the best for for Jalen Waddle, um, but I, it would be fascinating to see how this offense is defended when they only have one real deep threat. Yeah, and um, you know, certainly for for someone who may have said that Braxton Berrios is uh, you know 
over 600 yards was my bold prediction. Uh, him stepping up would be a hey, him him stepping up would be a very nice um, you know development here if they do have to miss Waddle. Um, and, and River Craycraft, I've always been a fan of his. He always seems to just be that guy who's overlooked, and then he has to step in uh, for a couple snaps in a big spot. He can make something happen. So certainly you can't make up for the loss of Waddle, but it, it's not the end of the world for this offense if they have to go a game without. Oh him. yeah, and also if it's more likely than not, it's a one week absence, and and we we should. I mean, it's hard because they've looked so good, and the rest of the conferences look like such crap, aside from the Ravens, but. Holy mackerel, is that conference bad right now? Um, but we should have some perspective. And we talked about chunks of the season and all that. Um, you know, if they get through this forced four games, three and one, we've talked about this, that the, the table is set for them to really, really go on a run. You know, you can lose games that you probably shouldn't on paper. They're a better team, I think, substantially than the Broncos. But things happen. This is a th- th- this is a league where crazy bleep happens every single week, and you know things you think might not matter do matter, and breaks that you've gotten the first two weeks you don't get anymore, and maybe R- Russell Wilson turns back the clock, and I'm going to have something on him uh, later uh, today uh, on PFN. You know, may- maybe they start getting it going. I mean, they they were a blown defend, you know, blown non called pass interference in the end zone on a two point conversion away from going to overtime after completing a hail Mary with no time on the clock. So there are no in t- two team, but I think their two losses are what a combined three points, four points, something like that. They haven't been terrible either. So I, I think we, we can agree, right, Matt, that this is a good team, that this is the foundations for a team that's sustainable throughout the course of the year. Certainly the quarterback's health is, you know, the, the deal breaker. Because he is irreplaceable. I'm sorry. You cannot put Mike White in there and have anywhere near the success that they've had um, on offense. So he is the deal breaker. But uh, I do think we can agree, assuming that two is healthy, this team is going to be it for the duration. Yep, definitely. And like you said, we, we kind of checked off a box there where, you know, now we know they can survive the Terran Armstead injury. Um, the 201, I think, would be a, a death blow for, for them. Um, and then we wonder if Tyreek Hill had a missed time, what it would look like. And, you know, hopefully we don't have to have that discussion. Um, every, 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 every team has something like that throughout the course of the season. Yeah. The teams that raised the trophy in February are the deepest. Okay. With the, yeah, thank you, Speaker. The deepest with the, uh, the best quarterback play and uh, the best injury luck. You need those three things, by and large, uh, to win a championship. Um, so far, so good for the Dolphins, but we're at week three. Well, and how quickly we forget they did suffer a, a big injury blow um, on the second practice of training camp. And so there's reason to believe that this defense is only going to get better than once Jalen Ramsey does return um, in December, November, whatever that time is. I and mean, we're not even going to, you know, kind of play around with the timeline there because there's been no change in that update. But yeah, I mean, um, if they if they are within a game of the AFC East lead going into December, I absolutely love their chances. I do. Um, And and since I I brought up Ramsey, let's talk about the defense real quick, what we saw, because what we saw was a total bounce back uh, in in defending the run, where they got run over by Austin Eckler and Joshua Kelly in week one there to about six and a half yards per carry. They held the Patriots, who admittedly also had trouble running the ball in week one. So maybe that's more about the Patriots. 
But still, 20 carries for 63 yards with the uh, the Patriots running backs totaled. Um, That's a little over three yards per carry. Um, So certainly encouraging sign. This week versus Denver is going to be a good test. Uh, Denver's a top 10 in yards per carry. They're also a top 10 in expected points added per rush for stats nerds like me. Um, So let's see if, you know, this run defense can can hold up against the Broncos um, before, you know, crowning them as much improved, but certainly encouraging. Yeah. And what was encouraging to me is how good they were without Jalen Phillips. And we saw, uh, I think we discussed last week, I certainly wrote about it, the uh, glaring absence of Bradley Chubb from the stat sheet for basically the first nine games of his Miami Dolphins tenure. Uh, Very few impact plays, very few sacks. Uh, he did it all. I mean, he absolutely did it all. He was great against the run. He was great against the pass. I mean, if he doesn't – Bumble in pursuit. Yeah, if he doesn't run down – and who was that? Was was that Stevenson? Was that – I can't remember who it was. Oh, no, it was um, it was a rookie who got benched, a wide receiver. The name escapes me. He ran him down, uh, punched that ball out. If he doesn't do that, it's a completely different ball game, right? It is the just the feel of the game, the Patriots – or, you know, will still be in it. They were down two scores of the half for a lot of different reasons that we can get into. It wouldn't have been that lopsided going into the second half. Uh, it would have been a, you know, maybe the screws get tightened on the Dolphins a little bit. And, you know, they, they haven't really had, and that's not true because the, the Chargers game was back and forth, but the Patriots game, it never really felt like they were in danger of losing that game, right? You felt like even though the score was close, that they were substantially the better team throughout that game. Yeah, uh, it, it was creeping in my mind, though. When you get in that second half, you have the blocked field goal, you have the missed field goal. Thoughts, uh, you know, of New England trips in the past, you know, start coming back in your mind, even though you know you're the better team. Because right. we've seen the Dolphins dating back to, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, be the better team and still lose to the Patriots. So uh, I wouldn't say as a fan, I was sitting there thinking it was always in the bag. Um, I felt. No, 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 no. That's that, fair, obviously. And when, you know, that missed field goal happened late, that's when you thought, hey, maybe this really could happen. Certainly, but uh, for some, you know, for whatever reason, I didn't have that anxiety as an observer that, oh man, this is like this is the you know this is bad news. I mean, I I, I kind of felt like so long as they didn't completely shoot themselves in the foot that they were going to win that game. Uh, but if they didn't punch that ball out in the second half, it's a completely different dynamic. So, getting back to our original point. Having having guys like Bradley Chubb show up, right, and having Andrew Van Ginkle play out of his skull, right, the 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 guy with a horseshoe up his backside, in the words of Christian Wilkins, because he's just always in the right place at the right time. That's a skill. I'm sorry, that's not luck. That is a skill. That's film study. That's technique. That's just having a sense of how fo- some people just have a sense of how football should be played. Like there are some guys out there that look great in underwear, right, and they're all their metrics are fantastic. And if they and, and if everything's perfect, they're going to dominate. I think not going back to the distant past, Mike Wallace is a perfect example, right? He was a guy that had checked all the boxes from a physical standpoint. He put things on tape that you thought like, wow, are amazing. Well, you throw some adversity in there and you make him, you know, toughen up a little bit and he folds like a cheap suit. Andrew Van Ginkle is the opposite of that, right? I mean, they say he's a great athlete. The measurables don't really back that up. He's a solid athlete. If he was a great athlete, he would have gone, gone a lot higher than, what was it, day three of the draft. Yeah. He looks pretty explosive coming off the edge, though. My goodness. Some of those pass rushes, I mean, 
The, the explosion is, there was something that you usually see from from Phillips when, when he's healthy. Yeah, he, he has developed into a into a fine player. I guess the broader point is this: he plays better than his measurables, and I think you you need dudes like that on your roster because not everyone's going to be a first round pick, right? Not everyone's going to be a twenty million dollar a year player. You need guys like Gink to to have that horseshoe up his backside that always seems to know where to be, when to be, and oh my goodness. Emmanuel Agba is buried now, absolutely buried, because uh, if he can't see the field when Jalen Phillips is out and Van Ginkle has the kind of game he just had, that, that they, they've got to they've find, and again, it's early in the season, injuries happen, his opportunity may come, but they've got to be open to trade talks at the deadline because he's just a huge, huge money asset sitting on the bench, not really giving them anything. Yeah, and and David Long um, played more snaps as well as kind of what we more like what we expected that he would play as opposed to week one, and um, you know so they're going to want to keep Van Ginkle on the field and he got a lot of inside you know um, snaps in week one obviously outside week two but they have to find snaps for him and that's going to come at the uh, the detriment to, to Agua possibly getting on the field because um, right David Long he he was active he was around the ball he made plays in the run game. Um, I don't know what the week one situation was about, and we may never know why he got you know fewer snaps than we all expected. But certainly that was a, a positive development as well, because uh, you know Long and Baker, that that's a really fast pair of inside linebackers. Um, they're very dynamic, and once they you know increase their their pressure packages, who they could come from all angles, right? You could have Van Ginkle on the field with them, and who knows who's coming and who's not. Yeah, can we? You, you, that's a fantastic point. But can we just take a second? to go back to that fumble forced and recovery when Wilkins came in and absolutely blew up Jerome Baker on the recovery. And like, I thought he was significantly hurt. And then they immediately cut to commercial. There's no injury update. I've, obviously I'm working remotely, so I can't look on the sidelines. And I'm like, what the hell happened to Bake? Is he alive? And he, crazy thing is he didn't miss a snap. He played every yeah. single down for the Dolphins in week two. Yeah. Yeah. And um, anything you brought up Wilkins. So I think it's worth noting what he said was it Monday he said about what Zach Sealer gathered the defensive linemen together before the game? And we don't know what was said, but obviously lit a fire. Um, is Zach Sealer the leader of that group? And <laughs> Right? That, that, that was my initial thought. Wilkins saying that when he's playing for a contract immediately made me think, well, maybe Zach Sealer is, is, is the leader. And it's not Wilkins of that group. Uh, maybe it's one and one a, but Wilkins is the heart and soul of that defense. I mean, he is, he is the engine. He's the guy that gets everyone just absolutely gassed up. Um, and even Wilkins kind of acknowledged now that Sealer almost never talks. Right. And so I think that's what it's kind of like a Vic Fangio <laughs> blitz package. Like if you do it every down, it doesn't have the same impact, but if you pick your spots and you catch them off guard, it really resonates. And that's, and that's what happened with, with Sealer. And, you know, I wrote about this on Monday, but like, yeah, he, he was, Wilkins didn't share the message, but the gist was, uh, we're not effing going down like this, right? Like it's, we are better than this snap out of it. I mean, I'm sure he used language that we cannot use here in the family program. Uh, but, uh, sometimes the quietest guys can have the loudest message and, and, and Zach Seeler certainly provide them an emotional lift and, and, you know, I'm not going to, credit that to the reason that the defense was better, but you, the number one thing for a team beyond X's and O's is coming into a game engaged. 
and not coming in flat and not getting their butts whooped. And, and I think more and more as we look back, that Chargers game last year was them just being completely flat, being on the road for eight days, playing a physical, physical game against the 49ers the week before. They were just flat. And so week one, I know we've got to fill, you know, column inches and all that. And I'm as guilty of it as anyone. I love a good controversy. I love trends. I love these things to stir the pot. But time and time again, McDaniel kind of rolled his eyes and said, no, they just beat our asses. And, and yeah, that's how it turned out because we ran it back and the offense ran right through that defense. Having that emotional edge is so important because these aren't like you and you and I both have kind of an affinity for numbers. We like the analytics game, get lost sometimes that these are human beings. And, you know, I've certainly had bad days. I would assume you've had one or two bad days in your life. Never, Um, never, never, not once. Well, you know, I aspire to be you and Fonte because I have more <laughs> of my share, I guess. Uh, there are days that you just don't have it. Um, and that's going to happen to the Dolphins at some point this season. There's a reason that no team since the 72 Dolphins has gone through the year undefeated. It's going to happen at some point. You just try to minimize those. And when you have dudes like Sealer who can give you an unexpected lift, you, you got to capitalize on it. Yeah, and then I'd be remiss if I didn't point out um, Xavier Howard getting his first interception and, and continuing the trend that, that you guys watched, you know, in, in training camp for years of Howard just kind of owning Devontae Parker's soul. Um, that's, <laughs> that's how it was once described to me from, from someone who was observing every every day of camp practice um, for a couple of consecutive years. So it was good to yeah. see that happen. And I know you you said that Howard would get eight interceptions. Well, he's on, on pace. He is now on pace. He got his first. But in general, the pass defense, it, we saw that bend but don't break kind of, you know, mentality there. Um, the Patriots moved the ball a little bit more than I would have liked through the air. Um, I, there's Eli Apple concerns, right? I think we need to touch on that. At some point, are we going to see Cam Smith start to get more snaps in place of Apple? Because I know Fangio is big on trust and he might not trust a rookie, but I don't know how much more you can trust Eli Apple when he's been getting beat um, – Somewhat consistently. Now, he did make a couple plays in the ball as well. So it's not like he was a total disaster. But what, you know, what might Cam Smith be able to give us? We saw some flashes in preseason, and maybe he needs to start getting some snaps in the defense to see. Yeah, as soon as he gets locked in on scheme, assignment, playbook, and all those things, you're going you're gonna to see that transition. Because from a physical standpoint, he is far more talented than Neil Apple. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and, and Apple looked bad against bad receivers and that should be a little concerning. Now, if Denver is at full strength, I would be having a bit of more of a panic attack about this game because their wide receivers when healthy are absolutely deep and loaded. Not the case. They've, they, they, I mean, that talk about teams that are snake bit that the Broncos are wide receiver are one of those teams. Um, but you can't like, I don't think you can count on Nick Needham. I don't. I think you've got – I mean, he would be a great answer to just to slide in there when he comes back off of uh, off of Pup, but we don't know for sure he will. And we've seen some of him uh, at practice getting rehab in. Um, haven't seen a ton of it. Um, he's – I got. I guess two more weeks he has to absolutely be on Pup before he can even consider returning to practice. Uh, and I think once you return, what do you have, three weeks uh, before the team has to activate you or you get put on IR for the season. Um, it would surprise me, and this is no inside information, just knowing how Achilles work 
knowing what I've seen with my own eyes of him. And this was in August, obviously, when I did a training camp, it's been a month since I've had a real close look at him. But just how far off he looked then, it would surprise me if he's back in the lineup in two weeks. So they're going to have to figure out what to do uh, at cornerback. I mean, you're, you're, you're still at least two months off from Jalen Ramsey. So you're going to have to figure out who that number three is going to be. And that's not even accounting for injuries, right? That this, this team, certainly they've had a significant injury already this, this, this season at that position, but corners kind of get banged up a bunch. And yeah, we've they, seen them go through a, a bunch in, in seasons. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that is a pressure point uh, for the dolphins. If I mean, God forbid, if Xavier gets hurt, they're going to need to score 40 a game in some of these games to keep up with these teams because no amount of no no amount of pass rush and zone defense is going to make up for what would it be Gator Kohu, Eli Apple and Cam Smith presumably. I mean Kelvin Joseph, can we take a second and talk about that? Just didn't even make the trip this week. I mean that's he's if he had the pristine personal history and no red flags whatsoever. That wouldn't have alarmed me, but the fact that second week on his on the team, he's already got something going on in his personal life that precluded him from making the trip. I'm just thinking about in terms of who can you count on, and that to me doesn't scream someone that you can have a lot of faith in, considering all that we know about the dude and the fact that the Cowboys are gave up on him. Right? That's they they gave up on the dude. So um, it is going to come down to if there is an injury. Cam Smith and EI Apple both on the field at the same time. That, that, that is when I would start to say, okay, now things are getting interesting for the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. And there's also a kind of a forgotten man too, right? That they brought back Perry Nickerson. And I wonder, he had a, you know, fine showing in preseason against, you know, third stringers and whatnot, but does he start to get some, he's more of a veteran. Does he start to get maybe some, action to see what, what he might be able to do if they're not in, ready to trust Cam Smith yet at that spot, but they want to try an alternative to Eli Apple. That to me is break class in case of emergency situation. And again, they, you can, you can survive a game or two like that. Um, don't think you want to survive Josh Allen with that. Right. I mean, that's like, I'm not, we talked about the Broncos. I'm not totally, you know, cowering fear over the Broncos offense. I think that they've got some severe limitations, even with the improvements on the margins that Russell Wilson has shown in 2023. Um, you go into Buffalo with one of those cornerbacks missing. Heck, that could be a tough day at the office. So, um, yeah, get up to speed, Cam Smith. Hurry, hurry, hurry. And uh, let your, your knowledge of the game catch up with your ability. And, and stay healthy, Xavier and Howard, and then that'll work until Jalen Ramsey comes back. Yeah. So now we, we, we posed this question earlier, I believe, or we, we touched on it quickly, but are the Dolphins the best team in the AFC? That's kind of what I wanted to think about. Because he, when you look, the AFC has been bad, right, compared to what we thought it would be. Bengals are on two. The Chiefs are, the Chiefs are an unimpressive one-and-one. One. It felt like yep. um, Jacksonville kind of lost that game more than the Chiefs winning that game. Um, and here's what we have with the Dolphins. It's the best offense in the NFL through two weeks based on yards per play, uh, a full yard over second place, um, yards per game, 50 yards more than second place, expected points added per play because I'm a nerd, 
which is 50% more than second place. So you, I don't know if you can argue that right now where what we've seen, they have the best offense in the NFL. Don't know if it's going to last. Yeah, sounds like some standard deviations right here, Matthew. Yeah. <laughs> People uh, listening are coming to math class today. Yeah. Um, um, but, yeah, I mean, no. really, yeah, is there an AFC team? The only other unbeaten team is the Ravens, like you said. And um, I don't really know what to make of the Ravens yet and, and their new offense. And, and um, certainly they're never a pushover, as we know. So, uh, but, but if you were here today to say, here is the AFC representative to the Super Bowl. From what you've seen, is it the Dolphins? Are they at that point? I don't think there's any other team in the conference that has the combination of complete and utter excellence on one side of the ball and potential due to talent on the other, right? Because to me, I was more worried about, hey, is this offense going to figure it out in year two? The offense didn't look great in the preseason. Uh, Is it sustainable? Are they going to be able to survive on more than chunk plays? Two are going to stay healthy. And then I looked at defense. So you got Fig Fangio and Bradley Chubb and Christian Wilkins and Xavier Howard and Jalen Ramsey when he comes back and Jalen Phillips. That team, that defense is going to be ballers, right? They're going to be great. Um, we now have information that tells us, no, this offense is built to win, right? This offense is built in a way that's absolutely sustainable. Uh, like, Here's a fun exercise. What do you think their lowest point output of the season is going to be this year? It's entirely possible we saw it in week two. It's entirely possible 24 is the floor. Unlikely, probably more like 17 to 20 is the floor. But can you see, like, I I covered this team for so damn long, man. <laughs> and I, I had absolutely went into games thinking, oh, they're going to get shut out. Or they're going to score seven points. Or... Wow, if they get the if they get the 17, they got a real chance to win, right? They have a real chance to win if they can manage 17 points. 17 points at this point for this offense is an enormous disappointment. An enormous disappointment. Yeah, I mean, so, I argued a 24 is a disappointment. They, they left points on the field. Right. So um, yeah, I, I I do think that they are they have the combination of one thing, one side of the ball that is the best, to your point. It's the best in the conference. Maybe the Maybe the Chiefs figure it out. The Chargers, God knows. I mean, Brandon Staley, God bless him, probably coaching his last year for that team. But as we saw against the Dolphins, they have the potential of being very explosive. So maybe the Chargers. The Ravens, I'm with you. I don't know what to make of them. Uh, And then you look at the AFC South. The Jaguars have ability, but they're not on the Dolphins level. So they are, at worst, the number three offense in the conference. At worst. Um, And they they have the better upside on defense than any of the other teams in the conversation with the best offense and the chiefs and the chargers and the Ravens, I think uh, are those three. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, we came into the season believing that they had a real chance to make some noise. I thought the schedule was going to be more challenging than what it's turning out to be. And again, two games and all that, but you just kind of do the math and, um, you know, I, I don't see the AFC West. They've gotten through one of the two hard games in the AFC West. And maybe they lose this week because weird things happen. But they're better than the Broncos. They are worlds better than the Raiders. We look at the NFC East then. You know, the Cowboys and the Eagles, those are going to be tough games, right? It would not at all surprise me to see one of those two teams in the Super Bowl. It's between them and the Niners, I think, in my opinion, in the NFC. But after that, it's a joke. I mean, the Giants whatever. Yeah. Congratulations on coming the whole way back against a team that isn't trying to to lose. Right. 
their objective is to lose games. Uh, and then you have the commanders, which are a solid team under Ron Rivera, but they don't scare anybody either. And the rest of the AFC East, they've already beaten uh, the Patriots. They're going to see them again. The Jets totally flawed without Rodgers. So it's going to come down to the Bills, the Chiefs. We'll see what comes out of the AFC North and maybe the Jaguars. I put the Dolphins' chances up with any of those teams right now. Yeah, which is crazy. And I think this offense, um, there's room for them to improve because they have special teams mishaps. They've had the snap issues that have ruined drives. Um, you know, they have the one bad interception per game that Tua seems to to throw. Uh, so they have room to still get better. And that's, you know, they're not operating right now at 100%. They're, they're this good, but there's reason to believe that they'll be better come November, December, you know, health permitting. Um, yeah, so I, yeah. I think that gives you, you know, encouraging uh, thoughts about what they might look like end of the season and playoff playoff time. Totally agree. Um, I, I, I think that we saw that the way they won in new England, even though it was beautiful weather bodes well for them in cold weather venues, but really what cold weather venue are they going to have this regular season playoffs, totally different animal, obviously, but Buffalo is going to be done with before October, right? It's Baltimore. It's Baltimore in December. That's the only one. Yeah, correct. And as a guy who spent four years in Baltimore, it can get nasty there, but it's not New England. Okay. It's not Buffalo. It's not even the Meadowlands. It's, you know, it's a, a gentleman's cold weather day. Okay. And it's, it's not one of those that makes you want to curl up and die. So, um, yeah, I'm bullish. I'm bullish. Knock on wood, they stay healthy, but I, I, I think they got a real shot to win the conference. Wow. Never thought I'd see the day. Adam's, Adam's saying this now after two weeks, which is remarkable. Um, and I think that the other thing, this week is the interesting test, right? Because I like to look at the schedule kind of, you know, in chunks, but also in certain tests. And, and they passed. So week one, it was that road game where they were, you know, two and a half, three point on the dog. So even the match team on the road, they won. Week two was a division game where they were favored on the road. And they didn't lose that game in years past. They might have. This is now that six and a half to seven point home favorite. This is the game that in past years, previous Dolphin teams might, you know, lay, lay an egg here. So I'm going to see if they can pass this test and then might start to feel like this team it is different. It is different than what I've seen in my lifetime um, recently. And it's certainly, um, you know, an encouraging thing. If they get the 3-0 by beating Denver, it would just be the second time. Um, the first time since 1996, they started consecutive years, 3-0. They haven't gone 4-0. We'll cross that bridge next week, but it was 1995, I believe. It was the last time they were 4-0. So um, th- this might not be the Dolphins team that we are used to seeing, which is exciting as a fan of the team, obviously. You know what I love about doing a show with you? I think I have these fancy pants stats that I come prepared with. And yours are always better. No, so like, like you raise the bar, Infante. I love it. That, that's what I'm here for. That's what I'm here for. I, I, I'm here to just lift you up, Adam. So before we get out of here, though, here's the question. Give me a prediction on Sunday. Uh, pain Not for the Broncos. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. The, the, the Dolphins win this game. They, uh, it could yeah. be closer than expected if Jalen Waddle is not available. If that offense is at full strength uh, and they get Jalen Phillips back, um, they will win this game by two scores. 
Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, it's good teams win, great teams cover. Um, the Dolphins are two and zero against the spread. Yes, Adam. one one quick thing: we have not even discussed this yet. This team is unbeatable at Hard Rock Stadium. Like their home field advantage is fantastic at that stadium. I know they lost the Packers on Christmas Day. Tua didn't know what time zone he was in. Okay, like there are extenuating circumstances, but by and large, their record even into the Flores years fantastic at that stadium and it's not going to be cool right it's not going to be cool weather uh for that rocky mountain team coming east um just another reason i think the dolphins win yeah uh, i'm with you uh, i've been saying dolphins by a touchdown in week one and two i think they cover here so probably a little more than a touchdown um that, that would be kind of where i fall and then we get to a very interesting you know game coming up next week if they you know get through denver so that that will be a fun time um, Adam, you have um, a Russell Wilson piece coming today, correct? If I and get then, to it. If you get to it. And we have the Raheem Mostert piece ready up on profootballnetwork.com slash Miami hyphen Dolphins, where you can see all of Adam's work throughout the week. Um, so be sure to check there frequently. Um, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, if you want to subscribe and like, that would be very, very um, nice of you. And we'd appreciate that. And um, other than that, we will see you back here next week on the Pro Football Network Miami Dolphins podcast.